Hey guys, if you enjoy this episode, please support this podcast by going to talkmurder.com slash join and becoming a Talco Supremo. Hey, John, I have a story from the UK that will make you cringe. Have you ever heard of the Fred and Rose West story? This killer couple had some disturbing fetishes that included BDSM, sadomasochism, torture, and of course, limb-by-limb body dismemberment. However, the really outrageous part is that this husband and wife murder team would host house parties at 25 Cromwell Street, and my dad was even invited to a house party, and she told them that they had free range of the entire house, but they couldn't go into the attic or the cellar because uh, her I think her dad had some private stuff in there or something like that was what she told them. Wow. Jen, I think you need to pour us a double for this one. All right, here you go. Now man up and tell the story, you bloody wanker. Tonight we are drinking the Queen's Cocktail because uh, the hint that John gave us is was really just the location, which is London. So this cocktail is Bailey's. Um, I did tweak the recipe just a little bit. Bailey's creme de cocoa and butterscotch. Mm. Oh, it tastes like a, a Worth Worthers. Werther's original. Yeah. It does taste like a Werther's original. My, uh, Yikes. Which That's every, delicious. Which every grandmother on the planet has a basket full of them. I in did their make house. a second batch Good. because we were just at the end of the creme de cocoa and the Bailey's. So we knocked out two bottles, but I did Woo-hoo. buy a bottle of Bailey's. Uh, or not Bailey's. Uh, butterscotch. Well, that's I didn't okay. have any nips. I will say, I've got nips, Nicole. Can you milk me? <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the greatest lines of a movie of all time. I will say, huge, huge, huge thank you to all of our fans, our tacos out there who made us that really sweet video. Yeah, happy two year anniversary, guys! Yes, happy two year anniversary. Yes, thank you so much, guys. It was really, really sweet. I literally started crying. Yeah. Before we get started, I got two announcements. First, welcome to our newest Tacos Primo, Kate, K-A-T-E, the East Side Squirrel. Whoa! Chirp, 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 chirp. Badass Um, name, Kate. Yeah, I'm pretty sure squirrels don't chirp. But I think they go... Yeah. And you have to do the hand gesture at the same time. (laughs) You can't just do it without it. Yeah, otherwise people think you have a tick or something. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining and supporting us during this crazy time. And Yeah, that means even more, actually. Yeah, it really does. Your swag is already on the way, so be sure to join our private secret hush-hush, don't-tell-anybody Facebook group. Our other announcement is I've got some big news. Yeah. Big, big news. One of our longtime supporters and very good friend who came to the Charlotte show to meet us for the first time, Savannah has just launched a new podcast produced by me, TalkoCast Network. It is live right now on iTunes and Spotify and wherever you get your podcasting fix. Congratulations, Savannah. Yes, this is very exciting news. Guys, to listen to the podcast, make sure you go to talkmurder.com. I'm putting it on the homepage there for everyone to see. The reason is, is because it's brand new in iTunes. And just searching for its name, The Missing, 
isn't propagating, at least on my computer. So I'm going to put a link to it on the homepage. Go check it out. Listen, subscribe, share it to your friends and family, and and give it a great review. I'm going to read the description right quick. 800,000 people are reported missing in the United States every year, although many of these cases are closed. Others remain a mystery. Each Monday, I, being Savannah Robbins, will examine a case of the missing and loved. Hmm. So it's missing cases that you're not going to find any other podcasters doing. That You know, they're kind of obscure cases, almost like what we do here on Talk Murder, but only for missing persons. So Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, not to say that these people have been murdered or anything devious happened. We just happened. don't know. It's we unknown. just don't know, yeah. She lays the episodes out. They're very heavily researched, and I think you guys will absolutely love it. So go check it out. Oh, and then if you want to, you can listen to Will's podcast, too. All right, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> What's that one called again? I'm just kidding. Go to, If you guys haven't heard uh, Will the Pill, he's a pharmacist in charge. He runs a quackery podcast. He's been putting out a lot of great episodes lately. That show cracks me up. It really does. Yeah. Will's a fantastic guy. He's very funny and he's very intelligent. And that comes out in his podcast called Quackery. He does good impressions. Mm. Yeah, he does. All right. Tonight's story is a request for our good friend, Talkus Primo, Laura. Hi, guys. Laura here from England. Oh, hello, First Laura. Of all, I absolutely love hey, the podcast. Laura. You guys are absolutely amazing. Been listening to you for so long now. Uh, my requested story is one that's kind of close to me because I'm actually from the area it happened uh, in Gloucester. England, and it is the story of Fred and Rose West. Laura has requested a pretty famous case, the Fred and Rose West story. Have you guys heard of that? No. Mm, I don't don't know. The case itself happened around where Dennis Nielsen, the British Jeffrey Dahmer, Mm. was shoving all them boys down that drain. Toilet for earliest (laughs) episodes. (laughs) Oh man, that's yeah. a that's a doozy to listen to. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it was fifteen or sixteen years after that. So, to be honest, Dennis Nielsen kind of overshadowed this yeah. yeah this situation. Even though this is a lot worse, really, as you're going to see. Yeah, how can you get much worse than that? Well, you'll see. Other than you know Pee Wee Gaskins. So this is a husband and wife duo, and by themselves, if they never met and got married, they would have been serial killers in their own right. Really? They're both completely fucked, and I think you guys are going to really enjoy this story. And Nicole's going to read a lot of gruesome stuff tonight. So, Will I get to use my accent? Yeah. It is a two-parter, so make sure you're subscribed and listen to the part two because you don't want to miss part two. Part two is... Basically a brand new story. It's completely different, and it's through the eyes of the wife, Rose. So don't miss that. Did Rose write a memoir? Uh, No, she didn't. But that's a good question. The book we're reading from tonight is called Fred and Rose, the full story of Fred and Rose West, and the Gloucester House of Horrors Mm. is by Howard Souness. He was a reporter for the Sunday Mirror newspaper in London. He is the one, besides... The killers, obviously, that had the most intimate details of the crime. He interviewed Rose's mother, 
and also relatives of Fred. He was the one to reporting this case when it broke. So, very excited for this story. All right. So, we're starting tonight's story off April 1973, the 19th of April, that is. Two weeks before the 20th birthday of Linda Gow. That's G-O-U-G-H. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Gow? Gaw. I don't know. Her father is a firefighter. His name's John. And then June, the mother. They're very loving parents. And two weeks before her birthday, remember this is 19th of April, 1973, they come home to find this note. Dear Mom and Dad, please don't worry about me. I've got a flat and I will come and see you sometime. Love, Lynn. Here's another picture of Linda right here. Can you describe her for our audience? Um, Brunette, curly hair, part very severe in the middle. Um, Severe. (laughs) It is. It's it's, it's right smack dab in the middle of her head. Everyone's hair is like that, isn't it? No. Well, she has pretty large glasses. She's smiling but not teeth showing so I can't tell if she has bad teeth which is pretty typical of people (laughs) from England (laughs) so um, but she looks bookish I didn't say she had bad teeth I'm saying she has a closed smile so I can't comment on her teeth but I wonder if she is has a closed smile because she has bad teeth okay so a little bit more about her 19 years old she worked as a seamstress she actually Left school at 16, which a lot of these girls did, and she became a seamstress. She wore, quote, granny glasses. That's from The Guardian. She's brunette, short, and buxom. Do you guys know what buxom is? B-U-X-O-M. Chesty. Chesty. Breasty. Big old melons. I've never heard that word before. Motorboating. It's a... I got got motorboated once. It's... (laughs) (laughs) What? Uh, what the fuck? <laughs> Tell us more. It's it's a really weird story, actually. Um, so you guys you guys know Grace? Well, yeah, kind of. Not really. Mm-hmm. She's one of our Taco Supremos. It was like right after college. We went. Her birthday's like in June. We went out for her birthday, and her roommates. And one of our college friends and I and and Grace, we all went to this gay club in Boston and one of this, this random guy just came up to me and he was really drunk and I was really drunk and he just motorboated me. And I was like, that's never happened to me before. Did he make the noise too? Like, I don't, (laughs) I don't remember that. I've never done that. I don't know how that is. I've never motorboated. I mean, I how do you even approach someone and be like? He just came up to me, <laughs> I, and then he walked away, and then I was like, "Well, that's strange." And, and it's, I've never been motorboated again. You know, it's. it's I mean, that's only like somewhat acceptable for that to happen in a game park. Yeah. Otherwise, assault. Yes. Well, I mean, it could still assault. be assault. I mean, it's still kind still of still kind of assault. Yeah. I mean, but I was like really drunk and I was dancing and I don't know, I, I might have been into it. I don't remember. So she was a very buxom girl. Like the majority of the victims in this story, she was a troubled girl. She left school at 16. She ran away. At, she ran away a lot, but she was living with her parents at the time. Now, keep in mind, this story is in the 70s. So what are people doing in the 70s? Having sex. Doing drugs. They're shagging and 
Yeah, London, baby. London, that is. They're shagging it up. Like, shagging. Like Austin Powers. Shagging and bagging and boating. <laughs> boating? Boating. Motorboat? Motorboat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is that a term that I should know? Uh, I was like, are we going boating? Nope. Nope. No. Right. Murder to me. I'm telling you. It's mm-hmm. going to happen one day. Mm-hmm. This is the guy that she was dating, Benjamin Standyland. That's probably not how you pronounce his name. And now he's a lot older here. He looks like the guy, um, the he Australian looks like guy Mel with Gibson. the ba- Yes, oh. he looks like Mel Gibson. <laughs> he does look like Mel Gibson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, the Australian guy with the bad temper. Well, he's dead now. No, not Russell Crowe. No, this guy that you're looking oh. at, Brandon, or Benjamin Standyland. So this was in 2017 when this photo was taken and this has nothing to do with the story itself but when i was doing my research for all the characters in tonight's story he popped up in a 2017 which is i don't know how many years 50 60 i don't know math which is a lot of years later and he popped up in an article from the daily mail now this isn't related to the story but if you want to read this quote Mr. Stanyland had been plagued by health problems, including a bad back and was struggling to walk. The inquest in Gloucester was told he hanged himself at home after a period of ill health, which made it impossible for him to leave his flat, which was not on the ground floor. Yeah, so that Mm -hmm. is unrelated to the story. I'm sorry I just threw that in there, but, you know. That's sad. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, you know how the Daily Mail is. They kind of blow everything out of proportion for clickbait. So it kind of made it sound like he killed himself because of this event, you know, because his girlfriend's about to get murdered, mm. as you're about to see. But it, it's not. Linda would always visit this one address, 25 Cromwell Street. It's a very well-known location. It's not there anymore. It, it has been demolished, so it's not there anymore. So a little bit about the location. Um 25 Cromwell Street is in Gloucester, just outside of the town centre. The house itself was actually demolished quite a few years ago and has been replaced with, uh, like, a walkway. Uh, So it's it's really just, it's not there anymore. Um, It's actually a really, really popular story here in the UK still, um, especially because, you know, Gloucester, we're known for a lot of things. We've got the cheese roll in Brockworth, which is where I'm actually from myself. Now, let's go back to the note that Linda left for her parents. That was the 19th of April, 1973. And she has been visiting 25 Cromwell Street because she was dating this Benjamin Standyland guy at the time. Now, they ended up breaking up completely, but she kept visiting this apartment complex because she was hooking up with other guys. I mean, this is during the 70s, and they were shagging a lot, right? And now, before we go any further, Fred and Rose West, the main characters of the story, were living in the downstairs of the flat that you saw, and then they would lease the rooms out to other tenants, mostly young girls. So the husband and wife duo saw her coming around a lot and saw that she was friendly, so they offered her a job as their nanny. At the time, they had four or five kids running around of their own. Mm-hmm. And Fred was working like crazy. Rose was working from home. And we'll get into that in a little bit. So they needed some help with the kids. They offered her a job as a bed sitter. It's basically, you know, you stay in the house and then watch the kids when we need you to. Now, the wife, Rose West, at the time was five months pregnant. 
She has a household of kids. And the previous nanny had just took off about four months before this happened. Now, the story I'm telling you about right now is the first time this killer couple murders someone that we know of together as a couple. Okay. Both of them individually murdered other people. Hmm. And they didn't even know about it. And then they kind of told each other about it. I got a secret, but you can't tell and I can't tell. Oh, uh, we both are killers. Oh. Yeah. They but, had both murdered before yeah, without, separately. Yeah, exactly. Huh, without wow. them knowing about it. Without Whoa. each other knowing about it. And then they told each other one day and now they're like, oh, wow, you do that too? Me too. Cool hobby, bro. You know, shit like that. The <laughs> they're lucky that they lasted together. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah, that is a good point. So the previous nanny just left, and I'm going to show you why. So as I said, this is the first time they collectively murdered somebody, and that person was Linda. Going back to the note, before the mother comes home and sees that note, she saw a woman, older woman, a 20-year-old, it was Rose West, the mother, come pick her up for coffee. And that was the last time that the mother has seen her daughter since. Now, no one knows how the sexual intercourse started because Fred and Rose West were both swingers. So they could have said, hey, you know, we like to do this thing. We like to shag and shag other people. Would you like to join in? Or they could have just gagged her and went off like that. No one knows. But what we do know is how her decomposed body was found almost 20 years later in 1994. Now, the 20-year-old wife, Rose, who was pregnant at the time, really, really liked Linda. She thought she was, she had, she thought she had a tight body. She was buxom. You know, she's ready to boat, basically. (laughs) (laughs) She's ready to boat. (laughs) So one day she comes over and they all start going at it. Forcefully, we'll never know. But either way, she finds herself downstairs in this cellar. Now, this is below the apartment. And before you say anything, that is not Woody from Toy Story. Hmm. Who is it? I don't know, but it does look like Woody. You know, it might be yeah. Woody from Toy Story, actually. No, no Toy I Story think, didn't come out till the 90s. I know, but I think it is Woody because this is vandalism. So some kid went and drew that. Oh, it wasn't there. No, it the wasn't time. there previously. Oh. All right, guys, look at this picture of the cellar. Where do you think a body's buried? Under um, the concrete. Do you see this? rectangular slab yeah yeah okay what this is or it was before it got covered up is an inspection pit so if you drive your car to get the tires rotated and instead of jacking the car up they kind of go underground and so they can easily work on your car that's an inspection pit okay this flat had an inspection pit and that is what you're looking at right now now it was filled up but linda ended up in here oh completely cut up now if you want to read this nicole this is from fred and rose west the book. Linda was gagged with brown adhesive parcel tape two inches wide, together with white surgical tape, which was wrapped around her head to prevent her screaming. Gagging was also a form of extreme sadomasochism, which Fred and Rose found sexually exciting. They possessed magazines featuring women with complete rubber head masks breathing through tiny tubes. Now, do you remember the Andrew Cunanan story? Oh, yeah. And do you remember watching it on uh, Netflix? Yep. Yeah. Do you remember the real estate agent that he tied up with the mask, the uh, 
Yeah. Taping mask. Yeah. And then he like masking tape. Punched. Yeah. The and hole he punches the hole through his mouth with scissors. Yeah. So that is a BDSM thing, and as you'll see, a lot of these victims tonight actually died from suffocation hmm. because they didn't really understand that they got to let a victim breathe every once in a while. But yeah. Linda had a tube shoved down her throat, kind of like a king tube. If you're like an EMT, you throw that tube down there. <laughs> Fred West ended up cutting Linda completely up. But if you think about it, he didn't actually have to do it because <clears throat> usually when you cut up a body, not talking from experience. Of course not. But you would spread the parts around. He cut up the body and threw it all in the same hole. That means he's getting some sort of sexual satisfaction from just cutting up the body. And later murders, you'll see that he was using, you know what an exacto knife is? Oh, yeah. A very sharp knife mm-hmm. and kind of taking his time, you know, because there was very fine marks on the bones. So he was taking his time almost as he was enjoying it because he was. He liked to keep a bounty of his victims, and that included cervical vertebrae bones, fingers, toes, patellas, which is the kneecaps. He loved kneecaps. If you find a victim Hmm. even today that's missing the kneecaps, that's one of Fred West's. You know who else likes kneecaps? Hubble. Oh, our dogs. (laughs) Yeah. Now, they didn't find any of these bones in the hole. No one actually knows where his dumping grounds were. And a lot of them, there was a a big bypass freeway that was built over a lot of his dumping grounds. Really? Yeah. And they just didn't, you know, because they built a freeway. They don't want to tear that down, obviously. They also found the head in that inspection pit. Now, it still had the masking tape on it. (gasps) The... Masking tape almost preserved the head like a mummy. Yikes. And it and basically, he cuts the head off for whatever reason, holds it up by her curly brown hair, and just kind of bloop, tops it, and drops it into oh. the inspection pit. Well, that's terrible. And it looked like a mummy, because she's got all the tape around her face. Wait, he just taped her face, though? He didn't tape it around her whole head? No, yeah, her whole head, yeah. Many bones were missing, particularly from the feet and hands. Several fingers and toes and wrist bones had been taken away. Her head was separate and the legs had been dislocated at the hip. The kneecaps were not there. There were no buttons or zips or anything to suggest that Linda had been wearing clothes when she was killed. That pretty much wraps up their first murder together. But one more thing I need to reiterate. Rose was pregnant at the time. Right. Five months pregnant. So if you want to read this, this is a quote from Fred. If you want to read this. I have a question. Jen. So what was Rose's part just seducing Linda and getting her on board to work for them? That's a really good question. Both Fred and Rose were equally sadistic in their ways, as you're going to see very soon. It wasn't just... The wife following the husband's every move. It wasn't a Paul Bernardo and Hermolka story, you know, where she would never kill anyone. But, you know, daddy's killing people, so she's going to help. This was two sadistic psychopaths going in it together. But that's a really good question. So they both had equal parts. But, yeah, her being there helped disarm the future victims because, number one, she's pregnant and she's a woman. Mm. Okay. So they would pick up hitchhikers and people waiting at the bus stop and stuff like that. 
most of those girls would not get into a car with just a guy, but they would if it's a guy and his pregnant wife. Right. You know, mm-hmm. because they don't think that they'll end up in a cellar with tape around her face. True. One of my dad's female friends used to hitchhike. Obviously, back in those days, it was just, I guess, a nicer time, which is ironic. Um and so she hitchhiked one night, got picked up by Fred and Rose. Um, it was pretty uneventful, uh, but I think one of the daughters was sat in the back with the hitchhiker. And um, she was really, really quiet the entire time, just looking out of the window. All right, go ahead and read this. This is a quote from Fred West. When Rose gets pregnant, her lesbian urges get stronger and she has to have a woman and she really wants to do he would claim to the police many years later. When Rose was pregnant, she was always extra sexy. Sexy. That sounded like Austin Powers. I know. (laughs) I didn't realize that. Uh, Yeah, baby. Let me go over the outline for this episode. As I said, this is a story for Laura. We're reading from the book Fred and Rose West from the Sunday Mirror newspaper in London Reporter. This is a two-parter. Episode one is going to mainly be about Fred. I'm splitting up both the parts. So one part will be about Fred. Next part will be about Rose. But to get a full grasp of the story, the second part is actually where most of the killings and stuff that you guys are going to literally have nightmares about, you won't believe in the second part. Okay. Okay. With Rose, because as you'll see, she's more fucked up than anyone. Hmm. She's more fucked up than Fred. Interesting. Way more fucked up. I mean, 100%. Now, remember I said that they hired Linda because the previous nanny... Split. Split. And she actually didn't die. But she did get brutally raped by the couple. But she did survive. Okay. So this is four months before the story that I just told you with Linda. The first one that they killed. Together. Together. The previous nanny, the one I'm talking about now, her name is Caroline Owens. She survived. Okay. And after she survived, because what did she do? She went to the freaking cops. Right. right. And they almost got busted, even though they just got let out with not even a fine to pay. Oh. But that's when Fred tells Rose, hey, you know, maybe we should start killing these girls if we keep doing this you know so they won't freaking go to the cops so this is four months before their first murder in 1971 the 17 year old caroline owens was hitchhiking to see her boyfriend in tweaksbury 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 however you how do you spell it t-w-e-k-e-s-b-u-r-y tweaksbury tweaksbury that's when fred and rose picked her up just like I said before, they drive up, hey, do you need a ride? I mean, you're probably not going to end up in a cellar because my pregnant wife is here. Now, Rose was one month pregnant at the time. Mm. I, I just want to comment that I like that every time you say someone's driving up, you always make it sound like a whole beat, beat up jalopy. <laughs> <laughs> like, like from yeah. a cartoon that has like little gas puffs out, coming out of the, out of the um, yeah. exhaust pipes. <laughs> I said this in previous episodes as well, but from all the true crime that I read and all the cases that I do, I found it's best to tell of a killer or killer's M.O. 
by seeing if there are any survivors and getting their you know, firsthand accounts on everything that went on. So Caroline Owens, 17 years old, after this event took place, she was actually named Miss Forrest of Dean, which is kind of like a Mitch, like a Miss Georgia Peaches or whatever. Okay. She's very, very attractive. She's one of 10 brothers and sisters. She was living in Gloucestershire her whole life. And just like the majority of these other victims, she came from a troubled childhood. A family member actually abused her at the age of six. And when she was 13, a 54-year-old mental patient abused her at the park, the Gloucester Park. And her stepfather says, quote, you've been bad, but the old man couldn't help it because he wasn't right in the head, leaving her to believe that it was almost her fault. That's terrible. As I said before, this is four months before the previous story I just told you. Now, Rose is one month pregnant, and as... You heard Fred say earlier, Rose gets really, really horny, horny, baby, when she's pregnant. Caroline likes the couple a lot. And for a few weeks, she actually starts working as the nanny because that's kind of their thing. In the book, he describes it as Fred and Rose spiderweb, right? The nanny position. That's how they get their flies and their their webs Mm -hmm. to get them stuck in there with the kids. So she was working there for a few weeks. She started getting really uncomfortable because the whole time Fred and Rose are fighting. And as I'm going to tell you about later, Fred was extremely violent sometimes. He would beat Rose up and down the stairs and everything. Also, Rose was very promiscuous. Some of the male roommates that lived upstairs would often find her up in their room at two in the morning and she would have coitus with both roommates at Hmm. the same time. So she was very promiscuous. So Caroline got very uncomfortable being there. So one day she decided to leave and she told him, Hey, this is it. I'm going. They broke off in good spirits. Mm -hmm. As she was walking back towards the bus stop, because she was going to go back to her parents' Mm -hmm. house. That's when Fred and Rose picked her up in their jalopy. Rose says she wanted to have a, quote, girls chat. Fred agreed to drive her to her parents' house so she wouldn't have to take the bus. Now, how does that always happen? They're driving towards the parents' house and then he misses the turn. Oh, that's that. You just missed the turn. Oh, I know a shortcut or something, you know, like in the movies. Yeah. Yeah. So basically that same thing. As soon as he did that. Rose started trying to feel her breast at one point, try to stick her tongue in her mouth. She was just all over. Her. And then Caroline was getting really just anxious and uncomfortable and pushing her away and everything. Fred misses the turn and says he knows a shortcut. And then they go into this wooded area where no one's at. There's it's completely desolate. They're way out in the country. So this is Caroline's account of what Fred and Rose said when she was in the car. Fred barked from the front. You had sex tonight with Tony? Caroline was embarrassed and replied that she had not. Rose was now touching her breasts and thighs and caressing her face. She tried to kiss her on the mouth and Caroline had to push her away. What's her tits like? growled Fred. Oh, God. What's her? Yeah, I know, right? It's fucking creepy. Caroline 
continues to push Rose off. Fred stops the car and he gets pissed. He turns around and says, quote, you fucking bitch. Then he starts punching her in the face several times Ah. until she blacks out. Now, that's the last thing she remembers because she wakes up in the cellar Uh, back at 25 Cromwell Street. Oh, shit. Exactly. They actually, you know, drug her in the house when no one was looking. This is Caroline's account. When Caroline came round, she was still in the car. Her arms had been tied behind her back with her scarf. Rose was holding her and Fred was winding brown adhesive tape around her head, gagging her. My reaction was terror and panic. I couldn't open my mouth even if I tried. She was forced to breathe through her nose. Fred started the car up again and they began moving. She was being held down with her face pressed against the back seat of the car and could hear Rose cackling with pleasure. I saw multiple accounts that they said when Rose got like this, she looked maniacal, Oof. like kind of crazy, crazy out of her mind. So I'm taking you back to the cellar. Here's the picture right here. This is where Caroline ends up. It looks like there's been some changes in the concrete floor. Mm-hmm. Back at 25 Cromwell Street, completely blindfolded, gagged, naked, completely. Her legs are spread apart. And kind of wedged apart, you know, taped and tied so she can't move. Then she describes the police filling smooth fingers with long fingernails entering her vagina. And then those fingernails were joined by Fred's, which were hairy and all big like carrots. Oh, my God. She actually described it as them trying to examine her, you know. She heard Fred talking about her genitalia. She's big inside, but the lips are too fat. They'll get in the way of the clitoris. Rose held Caroline's legs apart, and Fred started to beat Caroline's vagina with the buckle end of a leather belt, (gasps) saying that he wanted to flatten her clitoris. Caroline counted ten strokes. The pain was appalling. Right on the clit. And it's just like bubbling up. Rose then performed cunnilingus on Caroline while Fred fondled Rose's breasts and had sex with Rose from behind. So he's taking a belt and hitting her clitoris with it. Now, this torture session goes on for a long time, and it's not until the early morning when Rose actually gets up and briefly leaves the room. That's when Fred gets up and rapes Caroline for the first time. And then he said he only lasts a minute. And he makes her promise not to tell Rose. Now, that's important because you can kind of see where the power is. Remember I said that Rose is Mm -hmm. 100% worse? Mm -hmm. He's basically taking part in this sadistic torture session, and he's not supposed to have sex with this girl. So he does it real quick and then makes her promise not to tell Rose. Then she looks at him, and Fred is actually crying so you can kind of see who wears the pants. This is a this is a quote from Caroline. I didn't tell them about the rape straight away because as far as I was concerned, there was a normal man and woman thing in over in seconds. Also, I reckoned it saved my life. The police found out I had slept with two of the lodgers and made me feel so bad about it that I didn't want everybody finding out. If I had been in a little innocent 
convent virgin, it would have been different. But because I had partners, it was as though it was nothing important. Now she actually escapes. Well, they kind of let her leave. She actually goes back to the nanny position that morning. What? As like a as like a way to escape. She's like, look, I'm back in, man. I'm taking care of the kids. Ha, I missed oh, it yeah. here. Why did I ever think about leaving? Oh, yeah. And in the sick, twisted mind of Fred and Rose West, they think that she wants to come back and work for them. But as soon as she got out the door, she booked it. Wow. Went straight to the police station. Wow. So she luckily survived. But that was before they made that pact because when she went to the police station, that's when Fred and Rose West is like... Okay, from now on, let's just kill these girls. I can't believe the police didn't do anything further with that information Mm. either. There's a lot of things that were not done in this case. For instance, a lot of the child protection laws came about during these years. And as you'll see, none of these kids were safe in the home of these. And and the, the police were always at the house. For something, you know, Fred was always stealing shit. Mm. He was always paying fines for theft. The tenants that he kept there were smoking weed. And at that time it was illegal. So the police were always there. They just didn't know what was under their feet. Right. Literally. Yeah. Now for the rest of the story, we're not going to talk about Rose anymore. We're going to go into Fred's background. And then, like I said, part two is going to be Rose's background. And then you're going to really see how they come together. And you're going to really see how sadistic they can be. Fred was born on September 29th, 1941. His mother was 28 years old when she had her eighth child. Now, Fred was the mama's boy. He was also the firstborn. They grew up really poor. Fred was a problem child and he was disciplined very strictly at his home. But his mother really adored Fred. Mm. And a lot of people... And even the family isn't sure Hmm. about this, but a lot of people think that was more of just a motherly love. If you want to read this, Nicole. There have always been rumors in the village that Daisy West harbored something more than motherly love for Fred. It is said she took her eldest son back into her bed when he was aged about 12 and that she seduced him. Oh, dear. Now, I know. Fred was bullied at school and he was even bullied at his own home by his younger brother who was stronger, which I don't know anything more unmanly than being beaten up by your younger brother. That's just freaking awful. His father, Walter, really ingrained in his son that sex, especially with young girls, 10, 12 and 14, was, quote, natural and he had the right to do it. In fact, the father would always tell Fred about his sexual ordeals with young women around the neighborhood. Walter indulged in one of the greatest taboos of all, having sex with children. Fred claimed that Walter abused young girls and spoke openly about it, saying that what he did was natural and that he had a right to do so. Fred grew up with exactly the same mentality, never thinking that having intercourse with a child might be wrong. He maintained that... Everybody did it. Gross. And he really thought that's that a way. Sick fuck. That, yeah, that's making me really upset. Oh, dude, you think that's making you upset? This story gets really bad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, this story is fucking bad. <laughs> I mean, no wonder Fred turned out to be a total n- nutcase if his yeah. 
mother has sex with him and his dad yeah and his dad is a pedophile and a rapist yeah if you want to read this this is about fred going into puberty Shortly after he entered puberty, Fred was taking part in fumbling sex games here. We used to dive in the hay, pick potluck, and go for it. He later bragged, saying that he had cared little about the age or identity of the girls involved. Now, as a teenager and going to all these school dances and everything else, everyone thought of him as a sex addict. Like, can you imagine? Not just horny teenager. I mean, he's addicted to sex. It's interesting, though, (laughs) that he didn't get in trouble for Mm. it or caught. I know his dad didn't get caught, but it's also interesting that neither of them got busted for Oh, Fred gets busted for... Fred gets busted a few times for raping a 13-year-old when he's 20 or something like that. I'm going to get into that. He gets in trouble quite a bit for that. See, I feel like... If I knew that, I mean, obviously this is today and that's, I'm assuming in the 50s, 60s, when like he was in high school. Today, if we knew there was a problem, the student would go up for disciplinary action at minimum. And and even if it's not expulsion, they would probably be at least banned from going to those types of events. Like dances and stuff. He got away with a lot, I think. And maybe that was a symptom of the times. Yeah, I mean, it was the 70s. About to be the 70s. Everyone's shagging. I know, but I'm just saying, like, it is surprising that he was this rampant. And everyone's shagging. Seems like he didn't get much done. Shagging and boating is all that was going on in the 70s. Shagging and boating. Now, I want to bring this up because I've seen this in multiple cases. The first one we talked about, I believe, was the Nanny Doss story where she got brain damage, but Fred actually suffered from two incidents where he banged his head and he was in a coma. Mm. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because a lot of psychiatrists and psychologists and people that are a lot smarter than me and didn't get their degree at the University of Phoenix will tell you that brain damage is usually synonymous with a serial killer's later actions in life. Really? Yeah. So on 28th, November, 1958, Fred was riding his motorcycle. It wasn't like a, you know, Hibusa or anything, but it was 125 CC. It was the, uh, is the bike, the bicycle with a little motor on it. Oh, Just like yeah. in Hot Rod. The guy that was in or Hot Pee-wee Rod. Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, yeah, Pee Wee Herman. It was real late at night and he crashed into a girl that was coming the opposite direction. She was on foot. She was bruised up, banged up, scraped and everything. He was out cold. He had hit his head on the ground so hard that he didn't come to from his coma for seven days. A steel plate was put inside of his head that he'll have for the rest of his life that was literally keeping his skull together. He had a broken nose, which is why you see he's not very attractive because apparently he was good looking before this happened. He smashed his leg up and he had a metal plate that was mended to his leg bone, a brace that was mended to his leg bone. And now from now on, he's going to walk with a limp. So he's broken nose, he's all twisted in the head and he's got a limp. But he already had some of these tendencies before the accident. Yeah, that's a good point. And to clarify, right after this accident and when he woke up from the hospital, friends and family noticed some changes. For instance, he would lose his temper over 
minuscule things. He would get into violent fits of rage. He would be depressed, you know, all these fluctuations in his mental health. And that's what I'm talking about as far as the brain damage goes. It's not that he was, I mean, he's always been a sex pervert, but now he's violent and angry and, you know, and everyone says it's because of this. At least the psychiatrists say that. Soon after this, he starts getting in trouble with the law and stealing stuff. So I don't know if that was related, but, you know, it may be. Shortly after this incident, he meets his first wife, Catherine Bernadette Costello, which everyone just called her Rena. Mm. Mm. That's Rena. She was 16 years old at the time. He was still young himself. They met at a dance. A little bit about Rena's background. She grew up poor. She was a delinquent. So she got along good with Fred. At 11 years old, she appeared in juvie for the first time for theft. The following year, she was back again for more theft. Now, the reason that Fred was attracted to her is because he's getting more sadistic and more rough in his sex. And most girls... Don't want that. Rena would just kind of put up with it. As you'll see, sex with Fred is not light the candles, put on some... Michael Bolton. M- Michael Bolton? <laughs> Barry White? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why Holy he's trying to pop into my head. So they wouldn't light candles, put on Michael Bolton... You'd be washing dishes or peeling potatoes, and then he'd come up and basically pin you on the ground, and within 30 seconds, he's done, and usually you're crying and hurting because he basically, no foreplay or anything, just pounded you. Marital rape is real, y'all. Yeah, it don't work like that. It worked like that with Fred, and she was, and Rena was the only one that would really put up with that. Well, she now, shouldn't have. The relationship between both parties were constant infidelity. During this time, Fred meets a 13-year-old girl from the neighborhood and begins having sex with her. In June 1961, he actually got that 13-year-old girl pregnant oh, and boy. was arrested by the police. Fred was 19 at the time. The child was aborted, and Fred's family disowned him at this point. In high school, Fred was working with his family as a farmhand. And he knew all the surrounding farms and he would always have work doing whatever, plowing the land, plowing some girls. And you knew I was going there. Yeah, because I was going to say it. (laughs) (laughs) Plowing the land, fixing machinery, whatever. He could do it all. But now he's disowned because he got a 13-year-old pregnant, even though his dad was raping 13-year-old girls when he was 40. Yeah, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, I'm going to disown you. Yeah, it's, it's kind of bullshit. Well, maybe his dad never got a 13-year-old pregnant, so he never got yeah, caught. Yeah, he never got caught. That's what the difference is. So the shame is there because it you're, he's being held accountable. He was also accused of raping another girl. She was 14, and he went to court for both of those. And that's when Daisy, the mother, the one that had sex with him when he was 12 says, you know what? I'm disowning you. Now let's talk about the second time that he injured his brain. And this event is when family and doctors claim that, yes, this is definitely major, major brain damage. Okay, this was back when he was a teenager. 
It was one night he was at a youth club. It was on the second story of just some random flat. They had, you know, a party up there. Uh, a lot of youth were up there. And Fred at the time was grabbing young girls and basically trying to manhandle them, manhandling them, as he said, in the hay and then putting his Peter wherever it wants to go. So he did that to one young girl. They were actually on a fire escape. This is a second story, 10 feet above the ground. And she punches him and he loses his balance and he falls 10 feet and his head is the first thing, boom, to hit the concrete. He is out again. He should probably be dead, honestly. Yeah, 10 he's feet hitting concrete. And the doctors claim that this is major, major brain damage. Yeah. Major. Like, how is he, how is he functioning after that? Yeah. Now, at the age of 20, he's an outcast from his family. He's also a known child molester through the community. His family disowns him. So he ends up moving out of Dodge. He takes Rena and they move. He becomes... The one thing that a child molester should not become during the summer when it's hot outside. A lifeguard. No. (laughs) And you want something sweet. Ice cream man. Ice cream man. He actually becomes an ice cream man. (laughs) That sounds like it would abide by uh, staying further than (laughs) however many yards away from children. This this is America we're talking about. This is... Clearly. He loved it. He gets to drive around yeah, and he shit. had a blanket that he put in the oh, in the uh, mm-hmm. ice cream truck and these 12, 13 year old girls oh, would no. come in there and he would sleep with them. He loved it. Absolutely loved it. At one point, he actually backed over a five year old boy. <gasps> I don't think it was on purpose, but the boy died. Oh, my <gasps> God. But he didn't get in trouble for it. So moving, moving on from that. Why? Because workplace hazard? <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's common, or it was common back in that time. Well, that's terrible. <laughs> I would be scarred for life if I ever was around an ice cream man when that happened. I would never want He may ice have done it on purpose. Tr- no one knows, but wow, he didn't get in trouble for it. Now, let's talk about the marriage right quick between him and his first wife, Rena. He demanded sex randomly and daily. It was hardcore sex that resembled rape each time. She would often be left crying and hurting. It started getting more and more into sadism. He also started to become extremely controlling with the clean house and dinner on time and stuff like that. He started to also beat Rena really badly. And he would always get the police called for domestic abuse because neighbors would always hear it. Then he makes Rena become a prostitute and he started pimping her out. As you'll see later, because he did the same thing with Rose, what he does is as the guys come up, to have sex with his wife, he's in the other room looking through a peephole and jerking his wiener. Ew. On March 22nd, 1963, Rena gives birth to a son, but it wasn't his. Oh. Whoa. They actually had a fight, and this happened multiple times between the relationship. She would leave town for a few months. So she comes back because she realized she loves him again. And then she has a baby. A half Asian baby pops out. Oops. And it's not his. Like, <laughs> me, like me, myself, and Irene. Yeah. <laughs> now he has a half Asian daughter that they named Charmaine. Now he actually hated this child because it wasn't his. And the flip side happens, as you'll see with Rose in the next episode, she hated the kids that weren't hers. 
as I said before, he was an ice cream truck man. He also stole a lot of stuff. He got fined a lot. He became a truck driver, and he also worked as a arbiter. You guys know what that is? A tree guy? No. Oh, yeah, maybe. Oh, that's an arborist. Yeah. That's a, no, uh, arbiter, I think I'm saying it right, is a meat cutter. He was literally in a butcher shop slicing meat. Which Why wouldn't as, he just call it a butcher? I, I guess London people like to be fancy. But that will come into play because what did he love doing uh, with the bodies? He did. He uh, loved dissecting them. them. In their sockets. And he's chopping up cows and beef all day. He had... Uh, Interesting that wouldn't satisfy him, you know? Yeah. Maybe it did. Did he lose his job as an arbiter? In 1964, Rena gives birth to his, and hers obviously, daughter, Anna Marie. It was his kid. And around the time, no one knows for sure, because Fred didn't last too long after he got caught. But around this time, a lot of women were being murdered. And a lot of them matched Fred's M.O. So the probability is he was killing a lot of people. Official tolls for certain are 12. At least 12. But it's for probably... For him alone? Yeah, for him alone. But it's... Well, the couple. Oh, okay. Yeah, the couple. But it's probably somewhere at least over 30, I'd imagine. Also around this time... He fathered a lot of children by a lot of different girls. I mean, there's a lot of offspring of this guy floating around there still mm. today. Wow. A lot of people probably don't even know it. Now, as we talked about before, the nanny jobs was kind of the spider web and the MO. This is Rena's friend. Her name is Anna McFall. She is one of the first victims that we know of of Fred alone. She becomes a nanny for Rena and Fred, but she starts getting the hots for old Freddie, mm. and they start sleeping together. Now Rena finds out, and she goes batshit crazy. But Anna, Anna McFall here, she falls madly, deeply in love with Fred, and then tells him that she's about to have his baby. Hmm. Okay, sounds like a fucking episode of Maury. Mm. Rena finds out about the affair. And she goes batshit. That's when Fred was like, fuck that. I ain't having this baby because this girl's trying to tie me down. So in July of 1967, this girl goes missing. But she was found in 1994, just not alive. Oh, She was found in a hole with restraining cord also in the hole. Fred actually really enjoyed cutting up her body. This is the first time that we saw the precision of Fred and how much he liked it. He didn't just hack, 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 cutting up like a madman with an axe. <laughs> Gotta get rid of his body in the bathtub. He didn't do that. He took his time and he would take the leg bone and kind of just pop it out of socket. Ooh, I like how that socket looks right there. Kind of like, um, why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> he would kind of see the anatomy of the dead victim, of this dead girl, and, and kind of play with it. He took his time with it. He also buried her body around his childhood home. That was kind of like a symbolic thing for him. Knife marks found on her femur bones of her skeletal remains were very sharp, almost like the exacto knives. And this was, remember, after he was working as a meat cutter. Mm. Also, her fingers, toes, and what else was missing? Head. The kneecaps. Always the kneecaps. This guy loves to collect kneecaps. Remember I said that she was also pregnant. When Anna's remains were finally found, the skeleton of her unborn child was nestling by her side. 
The fetus may have been cut from her womb. It was not possible to know for sure from the forensic examination of the remains. It is known, however, that Fred had developed a bizarre interest by this time. He claimed to conduct abortions, and there is some evidence to back this up. Fred kept a collection of odd implements that led friends to believe were used to carry out terminations. Now, as I said, he buried Anna's body really close to his hometown. And this is from the book. I'm going to skim through it a little bit. But clinical psychologists say that Fred wanted total control over Anna. So this is kind of going into how his mind works and other women in his life. When he failed to keep her in line and she became pregnant, she threatened his stability, so he killed her. That means thus controlling her. By burying her remains somewhere familiar to him, he extends that power and control over his victim even after death. It's very interesting. She was close at hand and could never get away or disobey him again. Now, even though she's dead, but this is in his mind. All right, so we're going to end the episode here. I know this was a little long, but I had to get through his background, so now you know who he is. In the next episode, we're going to kind of structure it the same, go over Rose's background, and then we're going to get into some really sadistic stuff and how they like to conduct their experiments together or whatever. I'm really interested to hear how they met. Yeah. I'll get into that next time, but I will end by saying... Around this time, after he kills Anna McFall, he does meet a 13-year-old girl in 1968, the summer of 1968. Her name is Rose, and that's going to be his second wife and Ah. Rose West, obviously. Mm. So that's where we're going to pick up on part two. I really hope you guys enjoy this. Laura, this is a fantastic story. I'm having such a... uh, It's so interesting. I'm having a good time researching it. Maybe too much of a good time but yeah thank you ever so much guys you're all absolutely amazing and thank you can't wait for part two looking forward to it if you enjoyed this episode be sure to hit that subscribe button or whatever podcasting app you use if you like the story you can follow us on social media facebook twitter instagram if you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our nanny go to talkmer.com slash join become a talk primo get a badass t-shirt sticker swag a lot of love shout it out all over the place tell me what story you want me to do i'll research it dedicated to you on the talk murder to me podcast my name is john here with jen and nicole and until next time yeah baby